Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled Stairway to Heaven in our series called Braid the Darkness. Join us in John chapter 1 verses 43 through 51. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. I got a, um, a message this week, and um, I don't know if you use instant messenger. I don't really like it, um, but because it's all of a sudden, you know, there's updates and they, you know, all, all the social media platforms, it's constantly changing things. And I was unaware that I, you know, you got to really be careful. You have to uncheck or check the boxes. I mean, it's disguised sometimes on whether or not you're connected to that. Evidently, not because I'm something special, but I have a lot of followers because of my role at the church and, and things. So I have a lot of followers, and um, people are constantly, recently anyway, um, sending me messages through instant message, right? And so I wasn't really checking all that, but now it's like popping up like crazy. Oh my gosh, who is this? And half the time, it's this person from Indonesia who I've never met. And they're saying, hey, um, I just inherited $400 million, and I'd like to give some of it to you. (laughs) Right? Maybe you've got one of those. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I've been waiting for this my whole life, you know. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) no. So, but, but... Um, you can usually tell. I mean, most of the time you can tell. You're like, delete or block or what in the world, right? So, <clears throat> but, I, you know, I've got enough followers where I can't quite tell all the time. But, so anyway, uh, I, uh, a name came up. His name was Tim. I won't tell you the whole thing. But, I, I, so I'm like, Tim, I know lots of Tim. So I click on there. And, and sure enough, it is somebody who I know from the past, right? I've still been a youth pastor way longer than I've been the lead pastor, but it's getting close in there. And uh, so uh, about 10 years into being a youth pastor, I, had, I started doing this thing with teenagers where I started, when we would baptize a teenager, I would um, require them to tell their story um, because we wanted to make sure that their peers were hearing their story of how they came to Christ. Now, we, we implement that here, and it's kind of a thing that, you know, can be difficult for people. And that's part of the reason why I did it. <laughs> because a lot, so much, so many people are confused about baptism or don't know or think they know and they don't really. And so the act of baptism in its message and its symbolic story and journey and all that it represents, sometimes... Um, you know, people misunderstand, but you know, you just cannot argue with your story, your transformation. So I get this message from Tim and he says, hey, um, Pastor Ben, I am taking a class in seminary and it's a, it's a transformational, uh, spiritual transformation class. And it's, I'm working on my master's, and so I have to write this paper. So I was thinking back through my journey of coming to Christ and where my life trajectory was changed. And he said, I'm bringing it all back to, of course, when I came to Christ, but everything really 
changed for me when you made me tell my story in front of teenagers. And uh, I, I walked through his story with him, and, and he, uh, he was actually in junior high or middle school, and I, I made him tell a story in front of high school kids um, for multiple reasons, and I got to get into all of that. But I just think that it, he said, look, my life is really changed now, and I'm on, I, you know, now, he, guys, uh, he's a pastor in a church, and he's working on his uh, master's and things like that, and he said, I just... I was just thinking that, back that through, and uh, I just wanted you to know how huge that was. And, and so today, I, I really kind of connecting that to our message today, take your Bible out and turn to John chapter 1. There's, I think there is, in the Gospel of John, right here in this first chapter, as Jesus is calling his guys around him, and the, there's some interactions with these men in particular at the beginning and just little clues that feature the beginning in, of, of transformational change that they don't quite understand or know. I mean, now this young man's in his 30s. You know, he's in middle school when this happened, but he's looking back and he's tracing it all back to when it began, right? And, and he's having some aha moments and he's connected it to ministry and everything's like that. And, and there's this scene that we're going to look at in John chapter 1 where there's no doubt that this is going to happen for a guy named Nathaniel. But he doesn't know it. But Jesus says, you're, you're, you're not connecting all the dots virtually right now, but you will. You think this is huge. You just wait, buddy. And, and I, I'm certain that there's some time in this guy, Nathaniel's life, where he looks back and he goes, oh, I remember when it started. Let's just look at John chapter 1 at verse, starting at verse 43. Now, we walked through this passage last, last week, but we're going to go again because there's more. So it says, on the next day, Jesus wanted to set out for Galilee, found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the town of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael replied, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip replied, Come and see. That's what we talked about last time, right? All this come and see language. Right? Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward, toward him and exclaimed, Look, a true Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael asked him, How do you know me? And Jesus replies, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answers him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said to him, Because I told you this, or told you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He continued, I tell all of you the solemn truth. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending. Those are key words today's message. Ascending and descending. I would underline that. That's key. You're going to come back to that. Ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, 
if you went back through the, just chapter one, all right, I, I, and, and all you did was search out, which I think you should do. Don't do it right now. It's okay. But you just underlined all the titles that are featured in chapter one of Jesus, all of Jesus's titles. He has a bunch of titles in here, all right, that, that people give him or that he goes by. And I think today is, it, it, it's really important to focus on and see some of these titles um, that are used for Jesus for a couple of reasons. We've seen them, we've talked through some of them, but because they tell us actually who he is and what his role or his job is, and they also explain a bunch of things about Jesus, why he was treated the way he was, um, in, in particular at the, cro- uh, at the cross, why he was tortured and executed. And so I just want to point out three of them. You can go back through and find at least seven, maybe eight more, all right? Here's, um, here's one. It's the uh, Son of God in verse 49. You are the Son of God. There's another one, King of Israel. That's in verse 49. You are the King of Israel. And then there's another one in verse 51 that I think is really unique, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, um, Son of Man. You will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay? So what I want to do is just kind of focus on these three names a little bit. Because they show us all kinds of things that are going to emerge in the Gospel of John. How amazing Jesus is. And they point us to his death where our sins are taken away. And where um, life eternal... Real, true life, eternal life is secured for us. Look at the first. We're going to put two of them together. Son of God, King of Israel. That's the first one, right? Jesus tells Nathaniel where he he was and what was in his heart without being there. That's why Nathaniel is shocked in verse 49. He's completely shocked. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel, and you know things that nobody else would know. You've been able to see in my heart, right? What Nathaniel meant um, by that was, you're awesome. You're awesome, but not as awesome as what the words will mean in the future ministry of Jesus and the gospel of John. So he's, he's got some of it. He's recognized some things because he knows the Old Testament enough He's read the scriptures. He's heard the stories, all right? And so Nathaniel means you are Messiah. You're the awaited Jewish ruler that is going to bring deliverance for Israel and establish God's rule and reign over the nations. So both the terms son of God and king of Israel were references for Messiah. That title is reference for Messiah. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, and you know what, today you're going to need your Bible, you know, I can put it up here, don't get me going on that again, right? Open up your Bible, find it yourself if you've got it, right, and, and follow along because there's things you're going to want to see for yourself, maybe go back. You're going to have to work at it and flip around a little bit, right? It's okay. It'll keep you awake. 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord says to David... The king of Israel, this is God saying to King David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, go to verse 12, says, when the time comes for you to die, I will raise up your descendant, one of your own sons to 
to succeed you, I will establish his kingdom. He'll build a house for my name. I'll make his dynasty permanent. I'll become his father. He'll become my son. When he sins, I will correct him with the rod of men and the wounds afflicted by human beings. So the titles of Jesus not only show us how amazing he is, but they also point us to his death. So on one plane, these verses in 2 Samuel, this is about David's son, Solomon. But on another plane or another level, right, it is about the son of David, the Messiah. Because verse 13, when you're looking at verse 13, I will make his dynasty permanent. A descendant of David would come whose reign would never end. It's right there. When Jesus was born, the angel Mary said um, to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and verse 32, he'll be great, he'll be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. So this is why spending time in God's word just, it just is, it's rich and it's full and there's all kinds of levels or planes, so to speak. There's more than one thing happening most of the time. In other words, the prophet's words of 2 Samuel 7, 13 were fulfilled in Jesus. And how do we know this? They call him the son of God. They say he will reign King of Israel, right? And it also says he'll be called the son of the most high or the son of God. Verse 14, I'll become his father. He'll become my son. So from the time of David and on, the Messiah was known as the son of God. In a unique way. So the the angel goes on to say in Luke chapter 1, you know, to Mary, verse 35, right? Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He'll be a called the son of God, the son of God. So son of God, king of Israel, they're connected titles in the Old Testament for the Messiah, for Messiah. You can see it again in Psalm chapter two. If you go to the, this Psalm in chapter two, there's about six verses there, starting in verse two. It says, the kings of the earth Form a united front. The rulers collaborate against the Lord and his anointed king. That's the word for Messiah. They say, let's tear off the shackles they they put on us. Let's free ourselves from their ropes. The one enthroned in heaven laughs in disgust. The Lord taunts them. Then he angrily speaks to them and terrifies them in his rage, saying, I myself have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. The king say, I will announce the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. This day I have become your father. So here, Messiah, king, and son are all referring to the same person. That's the background for Nathaniel's shock in John chapter 1, verse 49. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He means you're the one that we've been expecting in 2 Samuel in Psalm chapter 2. You are Messiah, 
The time of fulfillment, it's here. It's now. The kingdom of God is about to be established on earth and the enemies of God's people are going to be defeated. The Messiah will take the nations for his inheritance, personal property, and rule the nation with an iron scepter just like Psalm chapter 2 if you just keep reading in verse 8 and verse 9. It's you, Nathaniel's saying. But even though Nathaniel is right, He's right about Jesus being the Messiah, right? He's not connecting things all the way correctly about Jesus. He's not quite God at all. Just some of it. And he's actually wrong about certain things. The son and king are going to be executed as a criminal rather than conquer the Romans. I mean, if you're alive at the time and you're Nathaniel, you, you, you know, you're, you're thinking... Can't wait for this because he's going to take care of business here with the Romans. And these terms, son and king, meant so much more than he knew. In John, so you're in the, old, in the New Testament now. In, in John, if you're in chapter 1, you should have your little bookmarker there or your finger in there. If you just flip over to uh, chapter 5, verse 18... We just kind of skip ahead. You see some stuff. It says, in John 5, 18, for this reason, the Jewish leaders were trying even harder to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, thus making himself equal with God. So something's happening in Jesus' ministry that the Jewish leaders could not stand for. Jesus was teaching that being the son of God meant his deity. Making himself equal with God, that's blasphemy unless it's true, okay? None of this has happened yet in Nathaniel. You know, Jesus is just calling his guys around him. But he's saying some things, and John is setting this up. So in John chapter 8, you just keep going. The leaders ask him in a mocking way. These are the religious leaders of the day. Have you seen Abraham? You know, lived 2,000 years ago. Jesus says to them, I tell you, this is the solemn truth. Listen, before Abraham came into existence, I am. <laughs> He's talking about poke the bear, right? In other words, not only did Jesus claim to exist before Abraham, but he actually used the exalted name of God, I am. So if you're an Old Testament scholar, the religious leaders of the day, you're, going, you're, you're taking that serious? You're taking that out of Exodus chapter 3? You know where God says, I am who I am? Seriously, that's what you're doing? So John, in, in John chapter 8, verse 59, they pick up stones, start throwing stones at them. We're not talking like little rocks. Not that kind of rock. I mean, they're picking up rocks like... This one hits you, you're going to, this is bad, right? I mean, it's not good getting hit by any size rock. So later on in chapter 10, they tell Jesus in chapter 10, here, I'll put this one up, verse 33, we're not going to stone you for a good deed, but for blasphemy, because you, a man, are claiming to be God. So, 
just, I mean, you just keep going down, down, down this trail when Jesus' accusers finally take him to Pilate. You know, that guy who's kind of gutless, actually. In John chapter 19, they, they make the connection between this charge of blasphemy and Jesus' claim to be the Son of God. We got a law for this. We got a law for this. And according to our law, he ought to die because he claimed to be the Son of God. So, Son of God. That title has come to mean so much more than Messiah. Nathaniel doesn't realize this. You know, you make yourself God. That's the meaning. Nathaniel's not quite getting all that. And nobody is right here, right? Jesus is introducing this. This is going to send everybody on a different trajectory here when they start figuring this out. So the more the title, Son of God, kind of became known and familiar in the life of Jesus, the closer it brings him to the cross. And that's the way that he wanted it. That's the way God the Father wants it. Jesus is methodically, systematically, so to speak, quietly utilizing his titles until eventually it just explodes. It just erupts in hatred from his enemies. And this is the way that we begin to see now that we can look back. This is the way he loves us. This is the way he loved us, right? He knew the promise of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And he, and he, he was determined to show that this is who he is. You know, we read this. Actually, Pastor Kevin read this on Christmas Eve this year. We read these, this little passage of scripture from Isaiah for a child has been born to us. A son has been given to us. He shoulders responsibility and is called extraordinary strategist, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Talk about some titles, right? His dominion will be vast. He'll bring immeasurable prosperity. He will rule on David's throne and over David's, David's kingdom, establishing it, strengthening it by promoting justice and fairness from this time forward and forevermore, the Lord's intense devotion to his people will accomplish this. He's the son of God and he's the king. And he's also mighty God. That's the meaning of his titles. And they're just beginning to emerge. The meaning that is already there in the Old Testament. King of Israel. King of Israel. The title King of Israel, just like the title Son of God, it's more than most, you know, Jesus followers saw it first. He would not become an earthly king and destroy, you know, the Roman overlords and all that oppression. But this king, just like the son, the, um, the son of God was a divine king divine royalty right in the end the jewish leaders would use the charge of treason to get jesus crucified by the roman governor pilate that guy right john 19 pilate tried to release him but the jewish leaders they they shout they're they're beside themselves if you release him i mean what a bunch of oh if you release this man you're no friend of caesar like they were all about caesar right everyone who claims to be a king opposes caesar Oh, man. Talk about how to use politics. Kind of mush them together with religious stuff. 
wow. So the more people become aware of the titles of Jesus, the more deathly they become, right? And that's the way he planned it. That's the way he wanted it. This is the way we know love. He lays down his life for us. This is this. This is the strategy of Jesus right here. He did this so that you and I could be rescued, saved from our sin and from God's wrath and have life eternal. Hey, look at Son of Man. This is a fascinating title. So um, it's not what most people think it is. Look at, back to John chapter 1, verse 50 and 51. Let's just read it again. Jesus says to him, because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than this, man. (laughs) You think that's something. You have no idea. I'm telling you the truth right here, the solemn truth. This is it. Listen to me. You're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I, I, I just thought it was interesting. I just titled this Stairway to Heaven. This has got nothing to do with the Led Zeppelin song, all right? In this part of the scripture, Jesus is referring to Genesis chapter 28. Now, you got to go back to the first book of the Bible. Go to Genesis 28. You got to see this. Because Jesus reaches back into the Old Testament, right? He does this all the time. He reaches back where Jacob has a dream, Jacob, and sees the angels of God going up and down and going up and coming down on a stairway to heaven. You're reading the wrong version if it says something else, like ladder. I'm just kidding. Start at verse 11 in Genesis chapter 28. Look at it. Start at verse 11. He reached a certain place where he decided to camp because the sun had gone down. He took one of the stones and placed it near his head. I mean, seriously, that's all you got is a rock for a pillow, okay? Then he falls asleep, and that's a miracle, in that place and had a dream. All right. I'd be dreaming too of sleeping on a rock. Okay, now watch this. He saw a stairway erected on earth with its top reaching to the heavens. Now you know why I got this title. Here's key. The angels of God were going up and coming down it, and the Lord stood at its top. He said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father's, uh, father Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the ground you're lying on. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and, your, and, and you will spread out to the west, east, north, and south. All the families of the earth will pronounce blessing on one another using your name, And that of your descendants. I am with you. I'll protect you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob woke up and he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. But I did not realize it. He was afraid and he said, what an awesome place this is. This is nothing else than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven, the significance of the angels going up and down the stairway to heaven in John 1.51 is that in John 1 and in Genesis 28, there is nothing explaining what the angels were doing. It's a baffling, strange thing. 
I mean, it's hard to figure out what, are the, what is happening here. What is this all about? This has baffled me for a long time. It doesn't, any say, it doesn't say anything why they're going up and down. What John, though, has done, it's really actually quite simple when you just put your mind to it. What John is doing, he's capturing the whole scene here from Genesis for, to reveal two things, just two simple things. One is that Jesus is the connection between heaven and earth. Jesus is the connection. And in John 1:51, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, not a stairway. And, and, and the other is to say Jesus is the place where people now meet God. Jacob called that place Bethel. And you just keep reading the story. House of God. Because he said, the Lord, the Lord's in this place. Where the Lord and people connect. Now Jesus is the new Bethel. He's the place where the Lord is present. Heaven is open and Jesus has come. And from now on, Jesus will be the place where the Lord appears clearly with people and where people find their way into relationship with God. There's no, there's no need now, no, geogra- no need for geographical holy places anymore designated by God as his meeting place with people. Jesus is the meeting place. Jesus is the meeting place. Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, You follow me, you're going to see way more stuff of my divine phenomenon than what you just saw. I'm the connection to heaven, both descending and ascending. When we move towards heaven, we ascend on the Son of Man. When God descends to earth, he does this on the Son of Man. This title's enormous. Why is he called the Son of Man in verse 51? It's not just because he's a man. It's because the figure of, of a Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, you should just flip over there, Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, is both human and so much more than human This was Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself, the Son of Man. It's used over 80 times in the gospel, 80 times, and and, and only Jesus uses it to refer to himself. He gets the title, Son of Man, from Daniel chapter 7, start at verse 13, check it out. Daniel says, "I, I was watching in the night visions. And with the clouds of the sky, one like a son of man was approaching. When he went up to the ancient of days and was escorted before him, to him was given ruling authority, honor, and sovereignty. All peoples, nations, and language groups were serving him. His authority is eternal and will not pass away. His kingdom will not be destroyed. This language of kings and royalty and sovereignty, that's that's what this language is. And John captures all that throughout his gospel. But it has a different ring than the term son of God or king of Israel, doesn't it? It's different. Son of God 
and king of Israel. It sounds more lowly. It actually sounds a little more ordinary. So when Jesus uses it, his, you know, his, claims, his claims to being king and, and sovereignty and glory, it, it didn't sound so undisguised like son of God and king of Israel. Only those who had real ears to hear, eyes to see kind of thing broke through this real meaning of the term son of man when Jesus used it. So this time, it's not the Jewish leaders who used the title to bring him to the cross. Jesus himself uses it that way. John chapter 3, verse 14. You got to see this. This is profound. John chapter 3, verse 14 and verse 15. I love these verses. These verses precede the most famous Bible verse in the entire Bible, in the world. John 3, 16. Right? Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This is the way God demonstrated his love for us. He gave his only son, right? Now, some of your versions, maybe even memorized it, would say, for God so loved the world. So much better if you say, this is the way God demonstrated his love for us. Why? Because that verse goes back to this scene. What is this scene all about? I mean, this is, a, this is actually a conversation with Nicodemus, that after a while you're like, is this John? Is this Jesus? Is it what is this? Right? And it doesn't even matter because the scene goes back to an Old Testament scene, a, a scene after the Exodus, Exodus, right, with G, with um, God's chosen people to feature who He is to bring heaven to earth and, and showcase to the world exactly who he is. So they're wandering around in the desert. You know some of that story because you've seen that movie, right? With Charlton Heston in it? What's it called? The Ten Commandments. Yeah, even you guys have seen that, right? You were even born when that was made, right? So they're wandering around in the, in, the, in the desert, and they're not being obedient. They eventually camp in this area, and they'll just sum it up. They camp in this area, and they're starting to get bit by poisonous serpents. And we know about some of that around here, but can you imagine just everybody getting bit at church by the snake that's poisonous, and they're dying, and they're complaining and whining to to, uh, you know, as I guess they should, to, to Moses. And it's a big dramatic scene, right? And Moses goes to God and said, oh my goodness, what are we going to do here? We got to do something about this. This is crazy. And so eventually, here's how it comes together. God says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get this pole. And I want you to put a bronze serpent on the top of it and put it in the middle of the camp. And tell the people, that if they want to live, they got to go look up at the serpent. And everybody who did lived. That's the scene just before John 3.16. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so what? So must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life, can live. It changes everything about that, doesn't it? 
looking back like that. Jesus is right here, dying for sinners. Nathaniel doesn't realize any of this yet. So when you see him as son of God, as king of Israel, as son of man, make sure that you see him dying to give you eternal life. Make sure that you see just how amazing and glorious he really is. Maybe you got a glimpse of him like Nathaniel does. You got to keep checking out these titles and see exactly this whole journey. That's the journey that John has us on in here. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's beautiful, unbelievable, just in some simple phrases and how connected the entire body of Scripture is and how much truth that is there. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this unbelievable, glorious story and scene. So I'm praying, Lord, that now we could, uh, in this journey, Lord, embrace these titles and focus a few moments of our lives just to allow you to truly show us how great you really are through your son, Jesus, and how all these titles point to your son's death, where our sins can be taken away. And eternal life secured for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.